following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. These are perilled times we live in, trouble everywhere. Weary hearts will often give in to this world's despair. But high and over all, our Father knows our every care. And in His book, if you will look, You'll find his promise there. He who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. He who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You upright in heart, lift up your voice, for great is his mercy told. All who trust in the
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message today is entitled The Majestic Mercy of God. The Majestic Mercy of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your grace. Lord, would you draw us out of ourselves today and let us clearly see who you are? Would you meet us? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This has been a very painful and difficult week for me. I said something that I should not have said and then did something I should not have done. I said something to someone who was very precious and hurt them. And then when confronted with it, I became very defensive and self-righteous. And God's had me in the woodshed all week. But in the process of all of that, he uncovered an immaturity in my preaching that I need to address today. It has been reflected both here in my preaching and it's also been reflected in the preaching on the radio. And it was not easy to hear from a dear brother The truth, I praise God for brothers and sisters who will speak the truth and not varnish it, who will just say what it is with love, not with any vindictiveness or bitterness or anger, but simply to help. I have, through the years, consistently held a position that my trust is in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. And in one sense, that's true. But that position is also shaped by some of the music. Don't trust in the sweetest frame. You can't trust anybody. You can just trust Jesus. Have any of you ever heard that? Now, I have to admit that there are areas of unconscious theology in my heart that have been shaped by my experience. And those areas of immaturity that have been shaped by my experience have to be uncovered. It's the truth I'm interested in. I don't come preaching my experience. I come preaching Jesus. We have enough today in our culture with every man and every woman saying, I think this and I believe that. And so everybody thinks and believes whatever they want to believe. And it's the truth as far as they're concerned, but it's not a truth that will take them to heaven. It's a truth that will take them to hell. I don't want to walk that way. And I recognize that my strong position that you can only trust in Jesus was shaped through the years as a pastor by what some call sheep bites. Have you ever been bitten by a sheep? Another member of the fellowship in recrimination and bitterness and anger. And so you pull back a little bit. And then you pull back a little more until finally you're just pulled back. And many times in the church, we've lived that way. You go to church, you socialize a little bit, and then you get out of there and you go on with your life because 
in my experience, I often found more welcome among the pagans than I did among the Christians. I don't like that. But I think there are some reasons for that, and part of it is found in the immaturity of preaching the wrong gospel. And so the church is not a safe place to come and confess faults, to come and confess sin, to talk about what I've done. It's not safe to come and say to you, I made a very serious mistake this last week. Because then everybody wants to, what you do, pastor? And the wagging tongues begin to go, well, okay, go. I won't live in a dangerous church. And that means my preaching has to be such that the gospel makes it safe to be vulnerable and to talk about real things and not simply come here like you would go to the Kennedy Center and get a a lift up. You know, you can go to the Kennedy Center and go to an opera and you can laugh a little and cry a little and be well entertained and go home and your life is the same as it was when you went to the Kennedy Center. The church should not be like that. This is not the Kennedy Center. It's not a show. It's not a production. It's where we come and talk about the real issues of life. I'd like to read several passages of Scripture for you, and then I'd like to dive right into what the Scripture has to say about this whole topic. First, in Isaiah, the 59th chapter. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear. And then... Isaiah 58, I'll begin reading with, let's see, let's begin with verse 10. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine, it will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people, now please, the church, will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets with dwellings. It sounds like a renovation company, doesn't it? I believe the church is supposed to be a renovation company, renovating the lives of God's people to walk in peace and harmony with one another and reach out into the world with such compassion and such poured out love that people will say, I have to have Jesus. But then it changes the subject. And I've always been puzzled by this incredible shift that just didn't seem to make sense. Look at it. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord 
And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. I want that promise fulfilled in my life. Do you? Is that where your heart cry is? It's all tied up with being a, a repair of walls because walls... Boundaries keep us safe. It's all about finding the old path. In America today, the foundation is being destroyed. In America today, moral value has totally disappeared. Our president can lie without any any sign on his face. Our top government officials can lie freely. Our Congress, our Senate, lie constantly. And there's, as though that's the normal way of living. When I was a kid, if I had told a lie, I would have had a razor strap used on me. My dad's first line of authority was, even if you've done something wrong, tell the truth. Don't lie. Honesty, hard work, self-reliance walking with integrity before God and before man. My father, many times I would go downtown with him in the little town of Greenville, Pennsylvania. We would walk the streets. Dad was a businessman. And I've seen him many times make a business deal with somebody on the street, shake hands, and walk away and the deal was done. There was never a contract signed. There was simply a handshake on the word of two men who trusted each other. That's the America we used to have based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have that anymore. Now we have contracts and attorneys and lawsuits, and everybody's angry, everybody's pushing. Go out and drive today on the road and see if anybody tries to run you over. Go the speed limit and see if anybody tries to run you over. You'll be street killed. Am I right? It's a whole different moral culture. So what's this talking about? I began to just reflect in my mind about the Sabbath. You remember when the Sabbath was given. It's the seventh day of the week. It was given first after creation, where after God had finished his work of creating, it says he rested on the seventh day. He hallowed it and he made it holy. The next time the Sabbath is interjected comes with the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness. And the Lord carves out one day a week and he says, don't do any work on this day. Remember the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt work and do thy labor. But the seventh is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Abraham Heschel is a, or was a very renowned Jewish mystic. He wrote a book entitled The Sabbath. In this book, he says, when God finished creation, had he been like us, he would have built a skyscraper. He would have built something huge and he would have put a plaque on it. And he would have said, created by the most high God. Or he would have created a mountain. He would have created something in space. But God didn't do that. He built a cathedral in time. And he invited everyone to enter that cathedral one day a week and not to do any work about the physical world. I was raised keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. And when Friday afternoon came and I got home from school, my first job was to polish mom and dad's shoes and my two brothers' shoes and mine. That was my job. Put newspaper out on the floor, and they trusted me with a brush, and I was, I was more polished than the shoes when I was finished. 
My brothers had other tasks. One of them was to vacuum. Another was to dust. There was cooking to be done. And when the Sabbath day came on this farm, there was no longer any work to be done. It was totally given to Jesus. And that went on until sundown Saturday night. That was the cathedral in time created by God to remember what God had done in the work of creation. But in the new covenant, we have to remember that every law of the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments, were a type, a symbol, a sign, pointing forward to the reality in the New Testament. So the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, is a type. It's a symbol. And we see in the New Testament the fulfillment of that symbol. I'd like to take you to a passage of Scripture that deals with this. It's found in Hebrews. You may want to jot down some of these passages and come back and deal with them later. In chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. And faith in the Old Testament means fidelity. Now we who have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work was finished since the creation of the world. Now, I want you to watch, because the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to open for us the antitype that the fourth commandment was pointing us to. And and stay with me. You'll see where we're going in just a minute as you begin to see the connection between the Sabbath and the church. Verse 4, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter the rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as he said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then it speaks about Jesus being our high priest. Okay, so what does this mean to all of us? Well, the Sabbath day that was given in the Old Testament now represents Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the Sabbath. So now we don't enter into one day a week of Sabbath rest. We enter in seven days a week to the rest of Jesus. And those who enter into this seventh day of rest are entering into Jesus And he calls those who enter in the church. And he calls those who refuse to enter in the lost. The church is not a place. The church is a people called by God to enter into the rest of the Sabbath. Seven days a week. Now look with me, please, in this wonderful book of Ephesians. Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When the church is unsafe, when the church is entertainment, when the church is a place where we go to connect socially. It's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what we enter into. We enter into Jesus. And then he's given us specific gifts in the church called apostles and prophets evangelists and pastors and teachers for the specific purpose of teaching and equipping those who have entered into this Sabbath rest so that their focus is to build up the Sabbath rest in God's people, to build up God's people. Now listen. 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do you get this? If you are independent, if you are not a part of those who have gone into the rest of Jesus... You're not a part of the church. Now, where I've struggled and been, frankly, immature, I have been high on Jesus, and I've been low on the church. And you cannot separate the two. Jesus is the head of the church. So if we cut Jesus off at the neck, his body dies, and Jesus has no body to flow through to do the work of the gospel in the world. And the great danger we face as Americans is that we live in a smorgasbord world where every one of us have a million ways we can spend our time and our energy. Everything in the world claws at us and said, 
go do this, go do that, take care of this, you're responsible here. And so we do, 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 do. We run, 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 run. The culture calls it the rat race. If you're in a rat race, you become a rat. It's like somebody said to me, if you go to the barber shop, you're going to get a haircut. Maybe not the first time, but you will get a haircut. There has to be an esteem, a love for the church of Jesus. There has to be a centering of our life in the body of Christ. The body of Christ cannot be added to an already full life. You know, we have our grocery stores, we have our restaurants, we have our places where we exercise, we have our places where we do this or that, and then we have the church where we go to worship. No. The church cannot be that for us. We have to lift Jesus up, but we have to be his body. We have to be in the body where sinners are welcomed and people are not condemned. We have to be in a body where the word of God goes forth and calls men and women to repent, where there is healing flowing, where there is mercy and grace where there is accountability in love. It has to be a place where we can care about each other. Part of where I'm struggling right now, to be very frank with you, I'm struggling with radio because I'm speaking to many people every day about the gospel of Jesus. But those people are not a congregation. They're not connected with each other. So they're learning. Their lives are changing. But they need to be connected to the body, to the peace, to the rest, to the cessation of their own Lustful desires. They need to be in a place where they can talk about Jesus and be encouraged in Jesus and be lifted up in Jesus. This is the church. That's what we're called to be. We don't come here to be religious. We don't come here to do our duty. We come here to love each other. Even when we mess up. I don't like it. I wish I'd never make a mistake. I wish I'd never mess up. I wish I'd never say anything I shouldn't say. It's not where I'm at yet. And there are consequences for actions and words. They don't just disappear into the ether. It's like my grandma. She was an old-fashioned grandma. And once a year, whether it needed or not, she emptied all of her pillows of all the feathers and washed the pillowcases because they were inside another pillowcase, inside another pillowcase, but the pillowcase was still dirty. And so once a year, she would strip out the pillowcase and And she'd always try to do it on a day when it was not windy outside because this had to be done outside. And I've seen a gust of wind come and just catch those feathers and send them flying all over the yard. That's how our words are. That's how our actions are. You can't go pick up all those feathers, all that down. It's gone. It's it's spread over the yard. So the church has to be a place where we can come, where we can confess, where we can share, where we can be prayed for, where we can be blessed in the name of Jesus. 
It has to be a place where we can be encouraged and loved. The church is not incidental in the thinking of Jesus. The church is his body on the earth. And it's flowing out of the fellowship of that body and the accountability in that body that enables us to reach out and touch the lives of lost. And of those who are filled with despair and hurt, who are hungry for something more, who desire to have their lives changed, they're sick of their of the way they're living. They, they want something new and different. They, they want to stop the bickering and the fighting. They don't want the harsh words anymore. They don't want the, the arguments. They don't want the animosity and the distance. Have you ever in your family just said to yourself, you know, I am sick of fighting. I remember my two brothers were older than me. And it seemed like we were always fighting. And one day, Dad turned to us, and instead of punishing us with great sadness in his face, he said, aren't you boys ever going to get tired of fighting with each other? I can tell you, all fighting stopped right there. Boom. Because we looked at each other. And then Dad continued, and he said, one day you're going to grow up. And you're either going to be enemies or you're going to be brothers. You will bring shame on my name if you are enemies. We bring shame on the name of Jesus when we're enemies in the church. When we're enemies in our marriages, when we're enemies with our children, with our brothers, with our sisters. When we use and abuse people. When we sin. All sin is Rebellion against God, it's something that hurts other people. Is there a longing in your soul for Sabbath rest? Just to ground your weapon? It seems so natural to me to be defensive. I don't even have to try to think about it. You tell me I'm wrong, and I have an argument immediately. That's my natural self. Don't tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. Here's why. I mean, that just jumps out of me. Does it jump out of you? Only the blood of Jesus can change that. And turn our hearts toward the kingdom of God, toward the church. God wants to do something here today. He wants to bring you into his rest. He doesn't want you to find your rest in video games and television and food and and a whole variety of worldly things that are spread on the smorgasbord table. He doesn't want us to find our rest there. He wants our heart to find rest in Jesus. I spoke yesterday with a man, 93 years old, his wife of almost 70 years, had just died. He knew that I'd lost my wife. And he asked if he could talk with me. His heart was broken. He said to me, Pastor, I'm 93 years old. Not much I can do. I'm almost finished with my journey, too. I said, oh, no, no, wait. 
You're 93, but you look great. God has something for you to do in these last years of your life. So will you give up the world and just focus your attention on Jesus? But it's not enough to say, will you focus your attention on Jesus? We then have to say, will you be a part of his church? And will you use your time and your energy and your money to build up the house of God? Do you plan on spending eternity with Jesus in heaven? You think you're going there alone? What would I do without you in heaven? What would I do if Jesus came to me and said, Ray, where's your flock? Well, where's your flock? No, I mean yours. Where is your flock? Are you going to face Jesus and have no flock when you get to heaven? Because you never entered fully into the rest of God and you never entered fully into his body. You always hung on the outside, one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. I don't want to live like that. I don't want you to live like that. I esteem very highly the body of Christ. It's time we built the body of Christ. And recognized it for what it is. And got our minds and our attention off ourselves and what we desire. And begin to focus on how can we touch others' lives? How can we speak? How can we give? How can we love? How can we begin to make a difference for other people? And lay down and ground our swords with which we fight one another or our families, or our bosses, or our workmates, how can we lay it all down? Say, Jesus, I'm a part of your body. Let your blood flow in me. Let your life flow in me. Mighty God, I am so grateful today for your mercy, for your majestic mercy that does not cast us quickly away, but with great love and patience, you reach out and draw us into your heart, forgiving our sins, restoring our brokenness, healing our wounds, and then giving us the ability and the power and the strength and the wisdom to go be a renovation expert, touching other broken lives and drawing them into you also. Lord, accomplish all that you purpose today in each heart. Lord, some came today hurting in their spirit like I did. I ask, Lord, that you would meet each one of us. And I thank you for meeting me. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your majestic mercy. I pray that you would carry us this week in the rest of the Sabbath, where we would not in any manner try to create our own reality, but we would begin to cooperate with you in the salvation of our own soul and the souls of our family that you would cause us to look with compassion and love on those people who are around us. Forgive us for what we have spoken and for what we have done that did not reflect the reality of your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great Presence of His glory with